Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. <laughs> hey, girl. <laughs> no. Welcome to Food for Thought. <laughs> Al Roker is in the house, you guys. <laughs> I have that base, okay? That's what maybe you don't know about me because my voice goes high all the time, but I can get down there. <laughs> oh my God. Food for Thought is a podcast gab fest where in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, yes. identity, yes. culture, what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought. E penis unum. Oh, <laughs> that's when you were on. You had some fucking sparkly drink and thought she was funny. I had, I had one white Negroni. <laughs> and I thought that was very e funny. Penis oh, I'm Tommy Pico. I'm a writer and editor, and I am still making out with your man in the hotel lobby. <laughs> that is true. I'm Fran. I'm a writer, editor, and at the time this podcast were, was recorded, the full moon was in Taurus, so Even everyone run and hide. Even more of a monster than normal. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I'm Joseph Osmondson. I'm a scientist, nonfiction writer. My sexuality is Frank Ocean's eye makeup on his Spotify picture. Oh, have you seen it? So good. And I have the saddest Twitter in America. <laughs> oh my God, true. God. You and Al Roker. It's... <laughs> oh my God. Okay. And I'm Dennis Norris II. I'm a writer, reader, ex-figure skater, and every man who's been with me knows that my anus sparkles. Ah! Get out! So she bleaches. Ah! <laughs> I wish my anus sparkled. Now that I'm thinking about it, that sounds I know, great. I know, honey. We'll get you there. It's fine. Who's going to tell us what's on the menu this week? This week we get sad. Duh. We go for a ride in my mom's Subaru. And we, against all odds, actually grow up. I don't want any of these things. (laughs) (laughs) Stick around, girl. Mmm, nom 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 thoughts. Mm. I'm feeling a bit peckish. So I think we could get into the amuse-bouche segment of our show. And to amuse your bouches this week, we're going to play a game called Sad. (laughs) (laughs) Exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) Inspired by Joe's ceaseless tears. (laughs) Documented on my Twitter account. So we're going to talk about... (laughs) Subscribe, subscribe. (laughs) We're going to talk about some things that made us cry this week. Yes. Uh, Joe, I think it's it behooves you to start yeah, this I one. Mean, as, as you know from listening to my or reading my Twitter, therapy makes me cry every week, but in the best way. I go in, I spend an hour crying, and I come out feeling just a little lighter. Therapy. Mental health is important. You guys take care of yourselves. So that was the last time you cried. Um, no, therapy? I have a whole list. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just we knew me. the answer to that my question. I, I, you have so many iCals. My, I have an iCal that's just like, when did I class cry? <laughs> <laughs> you have a cry journal. It's just like... <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing. Why must I cry? So this Deeps? is Tommy. I got to tell you, I don't cry. I find it reductive. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Except when I'm listening to a song called Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Oh, 
so real. Because there's a part in that so song real. where she's like, uh, where she's like, her dad's like an alcoholic, and she's just like, um, you know, his body's old, his body's too young to look like his mama went off and left him. She wanted yeah. more from life than he could give, and somebody had to take care of him. So I quit school, and that's what I did. Every yeah. single time that part comes on that song, I'm just like, <laughs> like a tear actually just went down Teeb's cheek. I'm just like, I like, I'm, I'm a fully human being, boy. Oh yeah. my god, what am I doing? <laughs> Fran. Yeah. Um. So. I read a funny thing on Twitter that was like, your DJ name is Young, Y-U-N-G, and the last thing that you cried at. Yeah. So my DJ name is Young, the season three finale of The Great British Baking Show. (laughs) (laughs) Mine is Young... The dick was too big. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, if you if you guys do not watch the Great British Baking Show, let me tell you, you it is revolutionary. It is so beautiful, so heartwarming, but also so hilarious and so unaware of itself. Um, but yeah. the season three finale is so beautiful. There's an empowering monologue, and she starts crying, and then I start crying, <laughs> and I was just like, um, I I literally. I, I, you know, we well up sometimes the movies or songs or yeah. whatever. Not Tommy, but like normal <laughs> people do. <laughs> but like this was full on ugly cry. Like, and I think you all can attest to like that thing yeah. where like you're emotionally exhausted and a lot of things have been racking up that week. Mm-hmm. It was one of those weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was just like yeah. sobbing yeah. at the Great British Bake Off finale. Oh yeah, I think it was. I mean, I think it, I think it was one of those weeks for everyone. Okay, I have two things. Um, the first is that sorry to put this out there, Tommy, but it's true. I have the opportunity to read something that Tommy's working on this week, and I it made me cry. Not there's, this there's, week. there's a there's a specific scene in it. Um, that just had me, I was on my plane coming back from Seattle wow. and I was bawling and these two men next to me, cause I was in the window seat, I love crying on a plane. Were, just oh my looked God. at me so and good. one of them was like, do you, do you, and I was like, well, I would love to climb across you and sit on your lap. No, I don't need to go anywhere. Oh I'm my God. Oh my God. Um, so that is, um, the first thing. The you second- broke our rule, which is we don't talk about what Tommy writes to Tommy's face. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, bitch, I did because you had me in tears. Um, and then the second thing really quick is that this is an Olympic season in figure skating. And one of my favorite skaters is this current um, leading U.S. lady named Ashley Wagner. And she was supposed to do a free skate to La La Land for the Olympic season. And while I don't care for the movie, I am I was interested to see how that free skate was going to go. And instead, she ditched it at the last minute and went back to a program that she used for two seasons from Moulin Rouge, which while I love as a program, I'm just really frustrated that she's not doing something new. So... I don't know. I was crying. I was just I'm crying about um the state of United States figure skating. Oh, oh wow. That's the oh, point. honey. That's Who the among point. us is not? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. top of my mind. I yeah. definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. um my favorite time that I cried this week was from choking on a dick. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> you know what? And they that, do they like to see gag. you well up a little bit. It hits they that do, gag yeah, reflex yeah. and you just get the tear mm-hmm. rolling down your Oh, it's so good. Um if you haven't watched it, the Joan Didion documentary uh, out yeah. now on Netflix, um, it, you know, and I was very skeptical of it. I was very angry that her nephew, you know, her family has more money than God, and her nephew mm-hmm. raised money on Kickstarter mm. to make a movie about his aunt. And I was like uh, frustrated by that because to me, Kickstarter is like for art projects where people actually need the money to get it made. And it felt like that was a movie that was going to get made anyway. But the movie, I think, really stands. It's incredible. I mean, if you love her writing, mm. um, you'll love it. And there are a lot of uh, great writers uh, talking about her. And then there's Cal. Cal 
Calvin Trillin, who wrote that really racist art, um, uh, poem in The New Yorker, talking in it way too much. So he could go. But everyone else could stay. <laughs> and it's incredible. I and that was Joe, everyone, in case all. you didn't know. <laughs> no one did not know. <laughs> you do really you do know all there is to know about the crying is, game. Is, is my list really like 10 times longer than everyone else's? Uh-huh. All I had was Tracy yeah, Chapman on there. Right. But just, you know what? I'll cry for Tracy Chapman any day. Any for motherfucking real. day. The, the, for the real. thing that made me cry the most this week was the fact that I have to move. Oh. And so moving oh. in New York City is a particular, like literally panic attack. It sucks. Ugly cry. Moving sucks. It's the oh. worst. I'm in a horrible apartment. The only reason I haven't moved yet is because moving is so awful. It literally, Tommy yeah. is sleeping in a puddle right now in his yeah. in his fucking apartment above a chicken slaughterhouse. I'm, ca- I'm couch serving <laughs> in my own motherfucking apartment. Teams, you're middle class now. Can you please oh. get a real I'm house? Just, oh my God. I'm, just <laughs> afraid, I'm just afraid they're going to take all that money away one yeah, day. So that, that's that sitting in my bank account gaining interest while mm-hmm. I live like a pauper. Did yeah. anyone, did <laughs> that money hoarding? Yeah. <laughs> Did anyone else cry that. about more than one thing this week, or is it literally just me? Mm, yeah, um, no, it's just you. In the Google Doc, it said, I'm pretty sure Joe can fill up 10 minutes here. <laughs> and, and, and you could. You could. Truly could. You could. It's all right. It's all right, honey. We love you. We love you in your tears. It's do you fine. stress cry? Does anybody do. stress cry? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's moving, not. stress Absolutely. crying. Yeah. I, I, I do not because I don't have a maximum capacity for stress. Uh, just absorb it like a sponge. That, it makes so much sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really don't. I have a maximum capacity for a lot of other things, but not, not stress. stress. Ugh, like being with men. That's, I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, that might be my favorite thing about you, Frank. Because I feel like I can just like continue to stress you out, and it's great. <laughs> I have a max. <laughs> okay, no, I have a max capacity for Dennis. <laughs> Never mind. Um, yeah, Redact watch it. yourself. Watch yourself. Um, no, I, I stress cried about a situation that happened at work that, at my job that just really frustrated me and made me extremely angry. And I am still angry about it. And I will continue to be angry about it until they rectify the situation. Ooh. Um, or I will not be there much longer. So, <laughs> All right. Dennis, Dennis, Dennis is railing over Dennis, his job. Right. Dennis is going to extremely... quit his job on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I quit, bitch. And he's like, gone. <laughs> doesn't show up to work anymore. He also forgets that we record before we air, so he just stops coming into work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know. It's like, yeah. I quit, right? I told everyone that I quit. That I quit. <laughs> like, it's, it's fine, whatever. No, but I, yeah. Anyway, I stress cried because I just was, like, super angry. Or also, anger cried. I, just I, on, a, on, a, on a note of mental health, because we're talking about crying, uh, our friend of the podcast, Eleanor Kagan, um, she, I was talking in a, in a place with her the other week, and she was saying, you know what? I hope that in our future there are more places for people to cry publicly and oh it's okay. And I totally oh agree with that. We should be able That's to cry brilliant. in public it's, it's without one of, feeling like we're in, uh, disadvantaging or like handicapping. It's someone. one of the things that I liked about New York. One of my first years here, I remember being on the Crosstown bus, the M66, and there was this woman, clearly like upper middle class, just like sobbing, waiting for the bus and then sobbing on the bus. Like in New York City and in many big cities, we don't have the privacy of a car, right? It's like you do mm-hmm. your, all your living on public transport. I remember when I found out this summer that I had to have surgery and I had gone to the doctor by myself and I was still dealing with the breakup and I felt like shitty about everything. And I was just walking out of Mount Sinai on the Upper East Side, just bawling. Just like, I, I, what else can I do? You know, I was, my whole life was just, uh, felt so out of control. And, and you just, no one looked at me twice. It was just like Pisces moment. Everyone's Hold like, on, oh. I've, I've got a mug for your Pisces tears. <laughs> <laughs> oh they my are God. also they are also, <laughs> they're also white tears, everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I have lots of them. You know what, Joe? We respect that. <laughs> and that's why we love you. But I also do think I've I've been a crier my whole life. And when I was little, frustration crying was something that I did all the time. And I was, I mean, literally bullied and beaten up for it. So it is really happy. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. I didn't mean to beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just I that. Was 
Crying is I so... I just couldn't help it. Yeah, it is, it, it's I, such a punchable face. I do have a very punchable face. I, it is... It is I, I love being able to be queer and, and come to terms with the fact that, like, it's okay to be an emotional, male-bodied person. Like, you're allowed to cry when you're frustrated. And it doesn't make you... I cry at work all the time when I'm frustrated. And it doesn't make me less professional. It doesn't make me bad at my job. And I so appreciate that about kind of coming into queerness. Hmm. Yeah. On that note... It's true. It's time we move on to our next segment, an impure thought spelled T-H-O-T, T-H-O-T. brought to you by none other than Joe O, the science Ho. Oh my God, you guys. I'm just like so impure. But you know, because this episode is all about adulting, um, I have a really interesting relationship to adulting because I feel like when I was a kid, I was much more adult, especially when I was at home oh, yeah. than I am now. Precocious is real. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it was because in my hometown, it was a very small town. And basically it was the situation where like everyone who was going to college and who was going to get out was super straight laced. There was like no one would like drink and also care about school. Like everyone who was like drinking and doing drugs and partying were the people who were not going to go to college or whatever. And so I had this mentality that like you had to be super straight laced and like not have sex and not drink and like if you wanted to get the fuck out. And it was only after I came to New York that I realized that all the prep school kids that I had gone to college with had spent their entire high school careers snorting coke and fucking one another. And I had no idea that you could be both like ambitious. And you were just clutching those pearls, weren't you? I was like, <laughs> what? Um, so the funny thing is that I, when I go home now, I feel like I have teenager experiences going home in my 30s. Mm. And this... Forever th- young. Oh my God. This particular <laughs> story. So I also grew up way in the country, but there just happens to be a Navy base by my house. And so mm. it was really only Getting after... that semen. Literally, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed that I would get on Grinder before I would get on Grinder at home and nothing. After Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, I would get on Grinder and hello. Like it was really, really Whoa. cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a like, sharp turn. A bunch of, you know, some 20 somethings who are Navy. away from home who are just like, <laughs> you know, they all they do is they lift weights all day. <laughs> and like, and so I'm, you know, but they. Spiritual weights or physical weights? All, all <laughs> of the above. Hopefully all, both. All, all of the above. I um, love me a man uh, with a spiritual weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so the story, but like I would be staying with my parents. It was the holidays. And like I couldn't go on to the base to hook up right and so I would like meet up with these boys and we would just kind of like it was like seriously like being in high school where I had to borrow my mom my mom drives a Subaru Forester mm, cute. <laughs> even though even though she's not a lesbian she does drive a, she wears Birkenstocks and drives a Subaru Forester god I hope she's I tell my parents not to listen to this motherfucking show I really hope I'm she's so not glad my parents are the Luddites they have no idea how to get a podcast um, <laughs> so I'm driving around my mom's like 15 year old Subaru Forester and I pick up this boy and we go drive around and we drive to to um, the parking lot of a state park that's these these ponds where I used to go swimming as a kid and we start making out and we end up getting in the back seat. so we're in the parking lot the cops are coming every once in a while to check on cars he's like don't worry about it because I'm in the Navy I can use like my Navy ID to get us out of any trouble with the cops right mm, so I love power so it is yeah. like it's but like the guy is really hot and I just thought we were gonna make out and like talk and whatever but I and we ended up both talk totally you're a fucking we ended Come up on now. totally <laughs> naked in the back seat of my mom's Subaru Forester I am 30 years old this is the last Last time I was single at home, totally naked in the backseat of my mom's Subaru Forester. I'm fingering. He's like, he's one of those boys where he's like, I'm a top, I'm a top, I'm a top until you get him naked. And then he just wants everything inside of his butthole all of the time. <laughs> we um, know that's how so Bait I'm and like, switch, I think I'm they're like, called. I'm like, he's never tried poppers before. So as we all know, I'm a popper Somalier. <laughs> so I'm like, he's like, I get him to try poppers. He fucking loves the poppers. He wants ever. I'm fingering him in the back of my mom's Subaru Forester. And I'm just like, what is my life? Why am I 30 and 
fucking acting like I'm 17, where when I was 17, I acted like a normal adult human being. <laughs> Your Carrie Bradshaw <laughs> moment. I couldn't help but wonder, as I fingered him in the back of my mom's As I fingered him in the back of my mom's Subaru. And then tell me why we spilled the entire bottle of poppers all over the back seat of my mom's Subaru. Oh, my God. <laughs> my God. And that shit is potent. That is And you're like, I'm sorry, you uncovered my strange addiction, which is cleaning VHS tapes and testing. <laughs> you pulled in, in my, that line out in my mom's mama. car. In my mom's car. So I had to explain to my my mom was driving the car the next day and was like, like what is that smell in the? And I was like, I have no idea, mom. No idea what the smell of this. Senility is the, the bitch. Car. I'm it sorry. Literally, <laughs> it literally, and you could still smell that because you guys know what fingering smells like. Everyone here knows. What fingering smells like. I have openly <laughs> spoken about how much I love that butthole smell on your fingers like the next day. But the God. whole car smelled like butthole and poppers. I mean, it was just so embarrassing. Wow, you are so gay. I'm a little concerned about the fact that all of your impure thoughts have to do with one of your parents. <laughs> like, oh my God, Dennis. Uh, <laughs> Where is the lie? Where He's is right. the lie? She's I had right. Never, I had never put two and two together. Ah! Uh, mm. That's just quite disturbing. It's just it's just something to put out there. I would like to wash that taste out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> shall so we get we to the Shall we, we get to the meat of our conversation? Mm. The meat. We are always getting to the meat. That's what so. we do. <laughs> So our thought process, of course, spelled T-H-O-T. This time we're talking about objectively one of the worst terms in American history, quote unquote, adulting. It makes me yes. want to throw up every time so it comes stupid. out of my mouth. Um, this all started because one time Joe asked the hashtag food for thought group chat, do you consider yourself an adult? Which mm-hmm. sent up a flurry of responses that questioned everything from education to media to intimacy to capitalism to the trashy idea of happiness in the context of nearly all popular modern narratives. Yeah, to the bank account. Now, at this point, Despite our shattering lack of wrinkles, three-fourths of the thoughts are in our 30s, and two of us quite comfortably so. Yes. And if you're playing a strictly numbers game, then we're all grown. We also Mm. have jobs and make our living in New York fucking city. Mm -hmm. No small feat by anyone's standards. But the city is also an incubator for Peter Pan syndrome. That's right. People who refuse against all natural odds and pressures to grow the fuck Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. So what I'd like to throw to the general council of thoughts, to the... Uh, impure thoughts of America. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself an adult, and what are markers of adulthood to you? We've talked oh, about this yeah. before yeah, yeah, um, yeah. in the group chat. In the group chat. On the group chat. Hashtag food for thought group chat <laughs> on Twitter. Um, I to me the markers of adulthood are about having the routines and the systems in place and then being comfortable with them at a certain mm-hmm. point. So when you when uh, like when I figured out. I'm, this is such a me thing to say, but when I figured out how to use iCalendar and how to optimize that to make my life more efficient, though after using it for years and getting into the groove of like how I or uh, how I did my life on an organizational level, that to me was like how when I started to feel adult. I'm not going to say that's what crystallized my adulthood, but to me that was like my first hints of like I'm setting up meetings. I understand how to use these these different things. I have answers to the questions that I didn't have answers to before. Mm. Um, so to me, it has a lot to do with routines, systems. Is it like a feeling mm-hmm. like of of having it together? Yeah, it mm. is. It is to me. Um, I definitely still don't necessarily 
feel like an adult 100% of the time. But I do think that I, if I think about where I was um, two or three years ago um, and where I am now, one of the biggest differentiators is that, you know, I don't procrastinate as much anymore. Mm -hmm. I, do, I handle things at, immediately and I um you know, just know how to do all these things on an operational level. So but, what's what's obscuring you from feeling completely adult? Well, aside from the fact that, like, adulthood is a construct. And, like, it's, it's you know, it's so hard to, to feel something that doesn't necessarily have a definition. Or I guess that's what we're trying to figure out today. Mm -hmm. um, I sometimes, like, uh, when I forget, like, I fundamentally, like, should have handled this thing. Like, it's just when it's 100% on me and it's my mistake, I'm always just like, Fuck. Like I'm just not a grown up anymore. Like if I had had more practice in doing this thing, then I would have gotten it. So when I'm going into things that I don't have practice in, that's kind of when I don't feel like an adult. Mm. Mm. It sounds to to me that like comp competency is like the big marker for you feeling oh, yeah. competent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, I, it's just so weird. I feel competent at work much of the time. You know, I have. I'm starting to have say. I just. I. I feel like. Um, in all of these capitalist markers. It's like one thing that I'm realizing in my life a lot this year is that I can intellectually deconstruct all of these capitalist markers of adulthood and say that they're all bullshit. You know, owning a home, having kids, having stable partnership, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I don't, I can't take away the fact that I grew up in a culture and society that has been feeding me that line since, you know, since literally I was born and mm -hmm. was put in a blue room and was told I was supposed to do all of these things by X age. And I really like, as queer as I am, I really was like, oh, probably at 28, I would meet the person that I was going to get married to. And then by 32, I would probably get married. And then by like 35, I'd probably have a kid. And, and I haven't, you know, I don't meet those markers. And I think that from the outside, a lot of people on social media or whatever might look at my life and be like, oh, you know, he's got it all together. He's like both a scientist. <laughs> and a Thank you. Yeah, Thank we you. all did Thank that. You. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't even I mean that the sound of what? <laughs> okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe oh. not. I do tweet way too many feelings. Okay. <laughs> so I, I guess it is I I guess the reason that I do that is that because it might look like my life is together, but I don't feel like my life is together. And I feel like so many people present themselves on social mm. media way more together than what they are. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? for sure. Me, 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 yeah, me, yeah, yeah. me. Hello. Yeah, and I like I don't want to do that. It's part of my project to be like, no, I'm actually a trash heap mess. I feel out of control most of the time. What? And I yeah. don't feel like I've lived up to the standards that I've set for myself. And I feel like a failure. And I feel sad about it. Mm. I... I relate to a lot in that, especially with the whole trashy mess sort of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> -uh. Because, All right. because -uh. I am one. Alex is dying in the corner. <laughs> I love Producer it. Alex literally slapped her knee. <laughs> she, she is. I mean, she, I mean, she's our fairy godmother and we love her. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury. Because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to mercuryinsurance.com today to get a quote. It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal health care, and even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Health care is backwards. Luckily, there's forward a new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward. Forward never makes you feel like just another patient. Backed by top-rated doctors and the latest tech, 
Forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it. Using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work, Forward's top-rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics, mental, and physical health. They then create custom, easy-to-understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health. With Forward, you get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards health care and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. Hi, guys. Katie Lowe's here. You might know me as Quinn Perkins on Scandal. I'm also the host of Katie's Crib, a podcast about all things parenthood. Katie's Crib is back with new episodes every Thursday. We have got such an awesome lineup of guests. Michelle Buteau on having twins, Katerina Scorsone on raising three children, Kat McPhee Foster on being a new mom. We'll be covering everything from discipline to mom ring. Tune in. Listen to Katie's Crib on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Whitney Dow, co-host of Reparations The Big Payback. On this season, Erica Alexander and I explore the arguments for and against reparations for black Americans. Everything that has touched us in a way that profited from us and we did not owes us. The attitude that most non-blacks would take, they're being shaken down for something that's not their fault. All episodes of Reparations The Big Payback are available now. Listen on the Black Effect Podcast Network, the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Um, <laughs> but it's really, it's really interesting, and it makes a lot of sense, Fran, that for you, a lot of the markers are, Joe, as you're saying, competence. And you're like, I'm better at this. I'm better at this. I don't do this so much as I did when I was young. And I'm a lot like Joe in that when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I was so much more, I was so much more organized. I was so much better at being on top of my shit. And now as, as a technical adult, I guess, because I am 31 years old, um, I feel as though I don't, like, know how to do anything, and I'm just, like, mm-hmm. doing my best mm-hmm. to, like, survive every single day and, like, pay my rent every single month. Mm-hmm. And oh. um, But what's interesting is that I, in in my head, that's what makes me an adult. It's, like, I used to think of, like, parenthood and family and, and marriage yeah. and those sorts of things as, like, the real markers of adulthood mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. simply because they included taking on responsibility for another being mm. like you are responsible for another person but like you it, do that though that's part of your job mm-hmm. you I, are the adult yeah you God. are you're the you're the matriarch well so that's one of the things that um that i do think about a lot is because in my job i have to be the adult in the room right mm. like i work with young people Youth. so when that's the case no matter what no matter how many safeguards you have involved no matter whatever like i am in charge of someone else's child for this time yeah. and they need to be safe and they need to be healthy and like like all of these different things and like that requires a certain amount of flexibility and whatever but that's the only time where i feel responsible i feel like outside of that adulthood for me is just like improvising and like yeah. figuring out how oh, wow. i'm going to like like do this and yeah. and encounter this situation that i haven't encountered before well, because it- so much of that is like you're unbridled as an adult. Like like when you're a kid, you might encounter a new situation, but you have your parents, you have siblings, you have you have, who, support. What, you have support in mm-hmm. a way that you don't necessarily have as an adult. So is a part of it that like if it if you're in a crisis, it's like who do you go to in a crisis? And if the person you have to go to is yourself, yourself does yeah. that mm-hmm. mean you're an adult? Mm. I, yes, maybe yeah. I think definitely for me. Yeah, it's interesting to think about what you said, Dennis, and that like adulthood being relative to the people that are around you. I totally agree with that. Um, I do think that I. The, the times where I flourish on a professional level are when the people around me don't 
know what they're don't know what they're doing. I'm thinking about like jobs that I've had where I, I'm just like the team literally had no idea what to do, mm-hmm. and I was the only person to answer to that question. Mm-hmm. And since, yeah. in in places like that, I do feel more like an adult. Yeah. Not always. But. What about you, Teebs? Well, I was thinking about that too, in ter- in terms of like um uh, uh, an adulthood that it that that can be flexible. Um, sometimes if I'm writing something. Uh, I feel more like of the adult, but if I'm being edited, then I, I retreat oh, into, wow. I have like a fealty towards people mm-hmm. just because it's like, you, I, I'm, I'm asking somebody to give me insight. So it's like, again, in, in that if, if, if editing is a crisis, I'm going to the editor, you know, I'm not going to myself necessarily. Although I do edit a lot of my own stuff. Um, my thoughts on adulthood are complicated because in ways I don't think I had a childhood. Right. Because mm-hmm. I grew up in a place that is was really violent, and it's like you can't point an AK forty seven at a five year old's head and not expect that kid to just like grow up in a That's second, right. uh-huh. you know. And I like you know I've seen people get stabbed, I've seen people get into car accidents, I've seen like a lot of really horrible things that nobody should see ever or age. as a child. Yeah. Um, and so if we're thinking about childhood as a, as a kingdom, what was that Edna St. Vincent Millay poem, Childhood is a Kingdom Where Nobody Dies? Mm-hmm. So it's like, so that you grow up after you experience, after your first experience of death, right? right so it's right, like, right. If, and if my first memory is being at a funeral, did I ever have a childhood? It's like, that complicates my idea of adulthood. In a lot of ways, mm-hmm. again, with this like whole uh, precocious thing, like, I didn't have a ton of adult supervision as a child. So I mm-hmm. did feel like an adult, especially with like my younger cousins and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it wasn't because my parents weren't good parents. It's just that my dad was away on business all the time. He was the tribal chairman of the reservation that I'm from. And my mother had like four jobs because he didn't make any money doing that. Right, so it's right. like, I just, no one was ever there. But I also had a ton of relatives that I could go to because I grew up on a reservation mm-hmm. within three miles of every living relative I've ever had. Um, mm-hmm. So it was more of like a, a village environment. Um, but I was thinking, does does adulthood, I'm thinking about uh, coming of age narratives, for example, and it seems like in the typical coming of age narrative, the the teenager or the young adult or whatever, the, it's like a, a passage, a marker into adulthood right. that comes at a loss of something else. Mm. Do you in have sense, to lose usually, something? Yeah. It, it, did, do you have to lose something in order to be quote unquote adult? Yeah, I think in, in a way, mm-hmm. in a way you do. I mean, the world, you know, I, I, and when we're young, it seems for many of us, youth is being shielded from the world. And so that's kind of what you're saying, Teebs, is that you didn't have a, a, a childhood because you were never shielded from the violence of the world. Um, and from the from the word that I like to use is precarity. That, that is exactly what you're talking about, mm. Dennis, that sort of every day could be a disaster. Every day could be a day that I don't make enough money to pay my rent. Uh, and, that, and that precarity, of course, because I'm a motherfucking Marxist, I tie it always back to capitalism. Capitalism wants to keep us off kilter mm-hmm. in order to extract maximum labor from, from us as a workforce, right? So it's like yeah. the precarity is an essential part of the economic system we live in. Yeah. And, and the fact that, you know, you know what I'm learning now mm. is I, as I'm moving into, I, I, I got a stable job and so I, my, my income is more stable but you never actually feel stable and the system is designed mm-hmm. I think to make you never feel stable no money no amount of money is ever enough to feel stable and what instability means is that you could you know you could lose your home you could die you could like it's it's not a joke it's so I think the notion we have of childhood is that sort of innocence of being shielded literally from death right mm-hmm. of, of being shielded from violence and death and then as an adult you you encounter that and deal with that every every day I, um, I gotta say getting out of debt this year it did a lot to make me feel like mm. I was on my own wow. two feet. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That but, is amazing. Yeah, congrats to that. Thank Claps. you. Oh. This is Teebs. I got out of debt this I, year. <laughs> that's amazing. I, on the other hand, have no hope that I will ever pay off my loans. <laughs> <laughs> I have given up. 
It's not going to happen. <laughs> I want to ask a question of the group, though, and it's a little bit. Of, if can we think about sort of queerness as operating as an anti-adulthood, as as like as a rejection of many of the heteronormative markers of adulthood, like yes. family, yeah. homeowning, and and again, Teeps, I, I think this notion of of having a family as a village. Also, there's a queerness to that, right? Mm-hmm. Of of a chosen family or chosen friends, and 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 you know, having the people that you have to go to not be a partner or not be a wife or a husband or not be a mom or a dad but be like your, your queer fan your, your queer pe- like literally for me these people in the room like when I had surgery y'all were the people who were offering to take care of me I didn't have any family mm-hmm. my partner had left me you know I, I had you guys so like does queerness sort of operate or buffer from adulthood in the way that some heteronormative structures might also do oh, so oh absolutely I mean are we mm-hmm. talking and this is weird because I'm, I'm thinking adulthood and maturity are we talking about right, are those right, exchangeable yeah. terms right, they're, they're not I don't think I don't no. think so either be- oh, also because adulthood feels like it has to be it's this definitive moment it's something that's that crystallizes when in reality it's a sliding scale but like i do like that question joe and i do think uh just i think it's something you've already you you've mentioned in conversations we've had about how a lot of traditional markers of adulthood are extremely heteronormative so So in that as queer people we have both the privilege and also the extreme terrifying extremely terrifying task of defining our own markers that's right Mm -hmm. um yeah when i was like a kid uh, when I was a kid, maybe when I was like a teenager, like I w- thought I was going to have kids by uh, the time I was 26. Yeah. I'm uh, currently 26. Um, <laughs> I also grew up really Christian uh, because there are in Christianity, like it's, it is a lot. Uh, there is, you are more privy to getting married really early. Right. Um, <clears throat> but there are things about how I think about that now and that that was definitely a marker for like getting my shit together, having kids, right, having right, right. a, a, a partner having a long-term yeah. Yeah. thing but yeah i do think this notion of competency or or sort of like owning one's own side, i think I, I like also to think about people we've watched grow up mm-hmm. in the public eye and i yeah. think about like there are a lot of pop stars that we've watched take on adulthood in good like beyonce mm-hmm. and maybe bad a little britney spears-esque ways right where like mm-hmm. i think for for people like britney like adulthood becomes this crippling thing that is like literally too much weight to carry yeah. um, coming from where she came from. I think about somebody like Gabby Hoffman, who was a child mm, star, that's right. took time off, grew up outside, outside of the camera, and then yep. kind of came back, mm-hmm. which I think is probably the healthiest thing Absolute, you could do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. You need a little privacy in there. I don't know. I think um, I think that's really interesting. And I also totally think that like queer adulthood just inherently looks so much different than what so many of us are fed when we're growing up that... Um, Sometimes I think that as as we begin to figure out that we're queer, we begin to understand in some ways earlier on than straight people do that we can construct an adulthood that looks totally different mm-hmm. than what maybe we're used to. I I am really interested. You guys are just making me think about like I have two sisters who are 15 and 17 years older than me, and I have yeah. a brother who's 10 years older than me. And I grew up, similar to Fran, in a pretty religious home, which most people know. And, like, my dad was a pastor and a minister, and, like, I was in church every Sunday and all of that. But um, I didn't grow up in a home where we were pushed to, like, do those things and to do them on a timeline. Like, hmm. my, I have one – I have three siblings, as I said, and I have one – one of them is married, uh, my sister Jean. And she got married when she was 32, and um, she, like, had a whole career and a whole life. She was a homeowner, all these different things, like, before she got married and had that relationship. Right. My other sister is not married. And I just feel like I was allowed to see um, some pretty unique versions of adulthood really close to me. And yeah. I think that helped me 
um, be more willing to be independent when I finally sort of felt like I began to reach adulthood and needed to be independent. And it allowed me to feel a little more free of some of those like constraints that I think people often feel. Mm. Um, and I think however you get there is interesting and there's so many different ways to sort of do it. But I do think it's an inherent part of, of queerness to be looking at what's yeah. around you and saying, well, that fits and that doesn't fit. I think and one of the things for me that I wish I didn't have, this is Joe, I, and what I'm about to say is going to give away the fact that it's Joe. For me, partnership <laughs> is the thing that makes me feel most adult. No. Like, mm -hmm. it's just like having, like, Dennis, I think you said, like, having people to take care of. Mm -hmm. uh, and that can be, like, I, I'm a teacher as well, so having students to take care of. But for me, like, living with, like, the, when I had a partner who, with whom I lived, that made me feel more adult than anything. Sort of that collective living with, with a loved one. And that's totally, yeah. like how heteronormativity has like infiltrated my brain and will not let go and I hate it but like I can't get over it and but, the, is, sorry, go but the thing is like why should you hate it here's the other yeah. thing is that what if you as a queer person crave heteronormative structures sure these are these are structures. for sure I do exactly so like what's what what happens when you are the queer person who is craving that is mm -hmm. that a bad thing why should you have to hate because that? because yeah. because what happens is that when I when my relationships fail I take it on as a personal failing and oh. when and when I'm single I feel like a failure and I don't feel like an adult like right now now, I, I, so many things in my life are going so well, but because I'm single and I lost this relationship, I feel as though I'm not an adult. I feel completely out of control. And giving your notion of adulthood and your notion of control up to another person is something that's fraught. Your idea of yeah. ending relationships is also completely different than mine in that yeah. when <laughs> I ended a relationship, I'm like, oh, so that's their personal failure. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, the thing is in, in my relationships, it usually is the other person person's personal failure and yet i totally internalize <laughs> it crazy. as my own that's yeah. so interesting it's, wild. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really interesting too because in talking about the idea of an, a marker as adulthood being taking care of someone else like joe the first thing joe says in this conversation about wanting to be in a relationship is that he wants someone to take care of and when i think about what i want in a relationship and this yeah. is probably why i struggle to maintain relationships i want to be taken care of it's complete it's just a but completely different one thing that i realized through revising my memoir after I had this horrible breakup was that actually me taking care of someone mm -hmm. is a request to be taken care of in turn. And mm -hmm. I hadn't conceptualized yeah. it that way my entire life. I've spent my entire life being like, I just love caring for people. But what that care, that care was, I do love giving care, but it also is a request that like, when I need you, that you show up for me in the way that I'm showing up for you without, right. you, you don't have to ask. And so I would like to, for you to show up for me when I don't have to ask. And that I, f I found when, when dating men, when I've dated women, that went great. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of the care being reciprocal. But when I have dated men, it has been really hard when sort of the other it's the other person's turn to show up. So do you care. think that this is a part of the fact that like uh, having alternative um, alternative pathways to adulthood or to maturity or whatever, yeah. like as, as queer people or whatever, that oftentimes um, gay men use that to rebuke responsibility? I think so. Yeah. And yeah, they yeah. maintain Whatever. perpetually immature oh yeah, yeah for sure tommy like yeah, they're yeah. gay men ha think they have so many get out of jail free cards oh, yeah, because yeah. of the fact that they had to come out which is yeah, becoming yeah. less and less of a thing right well yeah. and it is also i think the thing that a lot of there was that that article about how gay men love pop music in their 30s because they don't get to have a childhood right because <laughs> you spend so much of your childhood afraid of of being 
called out or found out or whatever. You're not allowed to have childhood crushes that are innocent. Sort of the way in which childhood is that innocence and that protection from violence. A lot of queer people grow up never feeling that because they feel like if, if they're honest about their attraction or their, their personhood that they will be acted upon violently. I do yes, think friend? an argument in an article like that is really of its time though in that it is really young and that we are millennials and that people are people are you now bitch. sorry you fuck are that was a, <laughs> I broke my own rule we're not allowed to say we're millennials um so uh, sorry in that we are younger people we <laughs> People are now allowed to be younger for longer and longer and longer. So when yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. olden days, like you grow up when you people are getting you know, married when you, later yeah, now. When you're Even 20, when, you, when you're 18, yeah. you're an adult. I like and I I live in a Hasidic Jewish community, um, a very insular place, and they're kind of an it's an older world way of thinking. Yeah. And they have kids literally eight and ten years old pushing strollers with a baby in them. No one else is with them. No supervision. They have oh, kids Lord. taking care of kids. Right, right, at right. late at night. Um, like they grow up really, really fast, grow up really fast. They are uh, become adults really fast. I think that the generation that mm. we're in, we're allowed to be younger for longer and longer because we get to use the internet. We get to we get to be in touch with like internet jokes that might not be considered. Mm -hmm. People will probably I think there was a time where people were deleting Facebooks well, when they got when they became an adult and now that's not the case. A lot of people I, are keeping their Facebooks I also, forever. I would also say that, you know, I grew up in a small town, right? And and one of the the impetuses to get married was that you got to have sex. A lot of people were literally like, I don't want to have sex before marriage. So they got married at 18 oh. so they can have sex. So like four babies. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. No, the but same. It, it was absolutely a real thing. And mm -hmm. so, the, you know, we're allowed to have premarital sex and be total slut bags. Right. And we have the grinders and the jacks is and we can like have this life where we get we are able to manage pleasure without needing to have a relationship necessarily. And that allows us to extend our youth as well. Yes. Tommy? I, well, I was going to say, speaking of like sex, I remember like before I lost my virginity, uh, I, I thought that sex is the thing that would make me an adult. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And that, like, at 15, when it was gone, and I was like, I don't feel any difference. <laughs> it's too real. Virginity, uh, for me as well, like, virginity was, like, the biggest, like, like false flag. You're just like, you wake up the next day, you're like, hmm, you're just like, I don't feel adult. I just really need to fart. <laughs> yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Did the first time you, was it, did you bottom the first time you had sex? Uh, no. Fran. I was the top. You, I was Teebs. bottom, yeah. Teebs is the bottom. Dennis, I mean, Dennis we all know Dennis yeah. bottom the first time. Of course. Yes. Okay, of course. That's another thing to think about is, I mean, I'm just curious. This is a difficult question to answer, but what's like a moment for you guys in your life or your past where like adulthood crystallized for you? So it's, it's obviously not virginity. It doesn't have to be the yeah. crystallizing moment or the first one, but what is one that comes to mind? Honestly, I don't, this is Tommy, I don't, like again, it's hard for me to consider myself a, an adult yeah. because I'm so fucking immature. Like all I do is make puns and bad jokes all the motherfucking That's time. True. When I lost my virginity, what I told people was like, oh my God, I lost three things last night. I lost my cell phone, I lost my sweater, and I lost my virginity. Like, I'm always going for the punchline. So, like, that, and, like, as a defense, humor as a defense mechanism, you know what I mean? If I'm still enacting my defense mechanisms all the time, does that mean that I'm a fucking child? But my dad, I think, you know, my dad, this is Joe, has one of the most heteronormative lives. My parents have a very nuclear family, like, moved away together, didn't know a lot of people, had literally two kids and a dog, right? My dad is has a super immature sense of humor and says you can only be young once, but you could be immature 
immature forever, mm. right? And sort of has all of these markers of like heteronormative sort of, but I think it's 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 one of the way masculinity perpetuates even within straightness is that you're allowed to be immature and like drink beer and watch football and scratch your balls yeah. and make dumb jokes. Like dad jokes is mm. a thing. Like it's a thing because like masculinity allows there's a way in which masculinity also is an escape from adulthood. It's mm. an escape from caring for other people and it's an escape mm. from certain types of responsibility, even as what masculinity in traditional roles like means that you're financially responsible mm. for quote unquote the family. And right? like yeah. physically so, you can take care of things. Exactly. Right. Or whatever. But, what I loved about Fran's question though about this one of this um an, an idea or, or a crystallization of adulthood in your life. And I, it happened for me in February. I was mm. at a reading in LA. I was reading at the standard downtown LA. And um, my parents came and they didn't tell me they were coming. And Mm. I was able to perform like I was a little bit nervous, but I performed and they got my they got my writing and and they were like, all these people here are here for you. And I was like, yeah, and they're like, they all know your name. And I was like, yes, they do. So it was and Hmm. I uh, and I realized that I wasn't retreating into the 15 year old version of myself. I wasn't retreating into the 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 age uh, that I was when I left the reservation. I was an adult person in front of my parents and and they they, were your peers. And they Mm -hmm. yes. And it was a weird feeling because I saw respect in their eyes. Wow. Yeah. You know, and and they took me seriously because like for the majority of my 20s, they were like, you're right, a writer. Like, yeah. I thought you were going to be a doctor. I thought you're going to go to medical school. Right, right, so right. like the idea of me being a writer didn't uh, and I guess a, an adult didn't crystallize for them until my first book came out. And then there was an article in The New Yorker. And then, you know, it was like a, an avalanche of other things. And so, then another book. So it was like them seeing me as a professional. It was like success as a marker of adulthood. Yes. For them, in a for way. them yeah. but like, not because they don't, they didn't think that I was going to be successful. I think more so that like they, it, it was comforting for them to understand that I was making a living on the thing that, that I left home doing. to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting, no, interesting. I always, whenever I'm with my parents, I feel 15. Like literally yeah. when I've mm, never yeah. had an experience, it's like no matter how crystallized my adulthood might feel, which is not very most of the time, when as soon as I go home, it's like I still, my parents still live in the same house. I sleep in the bed that I slept in at 15. I have to ask yeah. my mom to borrow the car and then I use it to go finger boys. Oh my God. <laughs> and my mom is never going to let me borrow her car ever again. God oh damn my God. it. Does she listen to the podcast? Yeah, I hope not. Oh my God. You um, know yeah. that she knew. Oh she just God. didn't bring it up with you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. so. My parents are so innocent. Conservatism. True. Is, is weird too. Truly, it pollutes maybe your she brain. Just it makes it like some mold or something. Sometimes yeah, that can but, like, like if you leave the window open in the car and there's a little rain that gets yeah. in, it like smells kind of shit. I think I do think adulthood is a thing that. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. That's yeah. true. It is true. I think adulthood is a thing that no matter how crystallized it is, it is very fragile at the same time in terms of how yeah. it feels. It can always just evaporate. I wonder. It's, I wonder what kind of relation because I have the same relationship. Well, not the exact same, but I do have a very similar relationship to my parents in that I do kind of retreat into that. I'm very protective. I don't talk about the podcast i don't talk about things that would suggest that i have sex or that i do drugs or whatever yeah. um <clears throat> but i do think that i'm i or rather i wonder if i grew up with very liberal parents who didn't judge me for these things who that i could yeah. have honest conversations about earlier on in my life if mm-hmm. i would feel more like 
peers with them yeah. um, when when I see them now. Fran, one one of the things that, that makes me think of the word accountability. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think with my parents in particular. So my parent, I, I write. A, this is Joe. I write a lot about sex and a lot about bodies. I have a book coming out January 18th. Woo, woo, get it? Um, it is about an abusive relationship. It's horrible what I write about in the book. It is that my parents knew the person that I was dating at the time. It was an emotionally abusive relationship. I was gaslit a lot. Um, but I also write about sort of the highs and lows of a, an emotionally abusive relationship and like how crazy good the sex is when you're being emotionally abused, right? And so it's about like how you get pulled into and stay in an abusive relationship. I know my mom is going to read that book. I know she's going to come to readings and it's going to mm-hmm. be mad uncomfortable, but I, but I do, I, I appreciate and love my parents so much. They never asked me not to write about shit, including them. They show, they show up mm-hmm. and then we have conversations about it. Like my mom actually went to Tommy's. <laughs> yes. She drove an hour and a half to go to Seattle oh to God. go see Tommy Pico read. Just to see me get on stage Amazing. and tell people I could suck the color out of a marble. Like, uh. And then, and then literally my mother, my mother calls me up and goes, why do gay people have to like write so much about sex it's just everything is about sex oh i wouldn't God. like it if a straight person oh did it either but you totally know in agreement with your mother joseph <laughs> why you know what? sex all the time you know what was incredible was that she she called me she went number one my parents don't get a lot of the queer shit right she fucking drove down to see tommy pico reed then they had a moment together that I know was special, very special for my mom. Thank you for that, Tommy. And then I she, made her cry. And then she motherfucking called. In a good way. She called yeah. me up and we had a conversation that was two adults on the phone sort of explaining themselves to one another. And that, I think that maybe is a moment where I feel like my adulthood yeah. crystallizes, where I actually can have conversations with elders, including my parents, where uh, where yeah. it's just, where it's it's not like I'm explaining things to them or they're explaining things to me, but we're having a conversation that is just mutual and, it, and it, we're being accountable for the fact that we're in each other's lives and we care for one another. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's real. It's really interesting. I think accountability is like a huge part of it. And so when you mentioned that, it, like a lot of things clicked for me also in thinking about Fran's question, because the first time that I ever began to kind of think about myself as an adult and feel like, oh, maybe this is what adulthood feels like is right around the time I graduated from college. And I just, I I was a huge fan of Wanda Sykes, um, (laughs) the comedian. And she had this bit in one of her earlier stand-up specials in which she talked about how turning 50 was great because she was just like, I just don't give a fuck like about anything. (laughs) And I thought to myself- I love what she says on that about being 26, by the way. She's like, (laughs) you ever ever go out and you get drunk and you just like, you at the club or whatever, you just feel like, fuck, I'm, I feel like I'm 26. <laughs> I'm like a 26-year-old right now. And then you see an actual 26-year-old and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck, I am not. Fran, get up. Fran, leave the room. Me. Leave the I'm room, Fran. That yeah. is me every time I enter a room. <laughs> um, but yeah, that right around that time, I just it wasn't that I thought that my degree conferred something in particular. It just I just felt like all of a sudden I could kind of stop caring about what people thought in a way. And so that was the first sort of fleeting time that I was like, I think maybe this is what it feels like to be an adult. And my brain made that connection. But it's interesting when you talk about accountability because I, um, I used to have a very similar situation with my parents where I would, you know, fly to Cleveland in grad school or afterwards or whatever when I was in New York. And I might feel, um, like I felt like I returned to my teenage self. I remember in college, I'd be like, man, whenever I go home for Christmas, I like regress into being like a 16 year old, but I'm like 21 or whatever. And why am I doing this? And so I totally get that notion. And I think that's really natural for everyone. Um, In recent years, that has not been the case as the people on the podcast know. Um, my I my mom is sick and she has dementia. And so when I am at home in Cleveland and I'm with my family, right. I like 
going home used to be a vacation for me and it used to be a respite from the rest of my life and my responsibilities. And now it's true that I, I maybe step outside of like my job responsibilities and whatever. But when I go home, yeah. I go home to take on a caretaking we shift role. shift into caregivers. And I shift right. into um, – and also supporting my sister who lives at home and is the primary person who takes care of my mom. Like I go home to relieve her so that she can like – do the things that she yeah. needs to do so that she can have some self-care. And so it's really interesting because where this place where I used to really feel like I was a child and feel like I could regress into being a kid is now a place where I go and I have this very serious um, like mission when I'm there right. and I feel very much like an adult. And it does seep into the rest of my life because there are other ways in which I have to be responsible for myself now. Ways in which, you know, 10 years ago or seven years ago, I might be able to go home or ask for money or do whatever that I like don't really get to do now. Mm -hmm. I have to be responsible for my entire life. And so I think that's that accountability. Like I had said before, like, Oh, I don't take care of anyone. Like I don't have a kid. I don't have a partner, but um, that part of my life, I think is where I feel the most like an adult as our parents begin to age. And as they begin to, in some ways, regress into childhood, um, we have to rise up into adulthood. And I think just by Mm. the sheer fact that my parents were the age that they were when they had me, Mm -hmm. um, I had to begin to do that a little earlier than I maybe otherwise would have. Yeah. Um, but, and so that kind of has forced me to feel more regularly, like an adult, like that yeah. seriousness and that responsibility. I think it seems that's, like there's a kind of resolve that goes into right. being adulthood. Because I was thinking again, if 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 this notion of adulthood, this with varying degrees of subjectivity, is fragile, mm. and mm. you are a fragile person, can you be fragile and adult? And I think there's mm. this right, idea right, right, that, like, right. at some that's point, so there is like. Uh, that that with maturity or with adulthood or something that there's like some center that will hold mm. in light of a crisis or something like that, mm-hmm. you know? And you are the only center <clears> at the <throat> end. I mean, that's what being an adult means that you're the only thing that holds. You're like, Oh my God, I have n- nothing left to fall back on. Yeah. 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 And it's, I, I mean, real. It's, it's too real. And I think that, you know, when we, when we talk about adulting on the internet, um, it's about, it's a lot that, you know, when people do the hashtag adulting, it's like they've done a list of chores that day. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's like what, what Dennis is saying is sort of the unpleasant reality of taking care of a loved one as they fall ill is asking you to step up. But what that actually does is it makes you sort of come into this role that is also feeding you. You know, it's mm-hmm. sort of like we do the chores, we do these things, but they also end up feeding us. And it's like, you know, I clean my room and I hate cleaning my room, but then I feel much less stressed out afterwards or whatever. Oh. So like adulting in a way is like self-care yeah. also. Uh, and it's taking care of the things for yourself that really just need doing. That's, that's real. That's beautiful. Mm, I'm feeling full, but I could still fit one more thing inside of me. Dennis knows how I feel. (laughs) Always. Always. This week, I'd like to talk about something that has eternal relevance, even though it came out a few years ago. A video of Rihanna's, I assume one of her BFFs, um, acting like she's going to take a picture, but she's actually taking a video. I love it. Uh, I love it. (laughs) I will say that this summer has been... This past summer had been one of the more harrowing work-filled summers that I've ever had. I had yeah. to take on a new writing project that I didn't have any precedent for. And so I had to learn a lot of things very, very, very quickly. And the only thing that gave me solace and comfort in those dire moments was this video of Rihanna thinking she was getting pictures taken. <laughs> Y'all think it's a picture, huh? Oh. <laughs> you, why you always do a video? You are I could do what I want. I could do whatever I want. Sorry. Fuck! You, Leandra. I do it on Leave purpose me. this time, I swear. Leave me out of it. 
Rob, come and take a selfie with me. This is a selfie or a video? Cause you video. be fucking with me later. <laughs> and she just tells her friend Leandra to shh, you, you're still doing this shit, Leandra? And I was like, this, I, I, it was just on a loop forever and ever and ever. Sorry, you're Leandra. I am. <laughs> you are Leandra. I am. Pranks. Um, and it's a lot, I don't know if you, you can identify with this, but when I'm working on something, um, when I'm working on a piece of writing, I oftentimes, it's hard for me to take in new culture. So it's mm. like hard for me to watch a, a new TV, to start a new TV show okay. or to start a new book or, because I, I feel like I have to rely on things that I already know. Your as internal a source. world. Yeah. yeah. And so this loop of a video uh, really hit all <laughs> Because it was familiar, it was quick, but it was, it never got dull. N never. And in fact, ever. I feel like the humor just accrued the yeah. more time. Because <laughs> yeah. first of all, she's gorgeous. Yeah. She's Absolutely so effortlessly gorgeous so watching yes. her get ready to take a photo from going to like like funny you know rob face to like yeah, then yeah, yeah. to becoming rihanna you know what i mean yeah. where oh, yourselves yeah. and just looking over her shoulder giving you a steely gaze teams is giving us the photo face right now <laughs> for those of you who are not in the room oh, yeah. teams has this photo face where she, she finds the light and she yeah. actually literally there's a photo i think oh. at our at our, our um live party from last year where teams literally pushes everyone back <laughs> into <laughs> darkness and teams is the only one in the light hitting you know, the perfect I, Angle. I don't like having my picture taken, <laughs> but if we're gonna do it, let's do it. I kind of feel the same way about sex, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, because I'm like, God, it's like, it's like, oh God, are we gonna do this? And then the red light comes on, and I'm like, all right, all right, <laughs> we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Steal yourself, because shit's about to get bumpy. <laughs> No. So no. I'm done. Uh, I'm done. They, that, that's done. That's you got you watch it. It's it's perfect. Who needs daily vitamins when you have videos Rihanna. of Rihanna? <laughs> yeah. Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and also our new partnership with Into, a digital magazine for queer news and culture. Our engineer is Alex Mead Fox at Spaceman Sound Studios in the heart of industrial Greenpoint, New York. And our producer who puts the fun in funk that... Oh, God. <laughs> oh my God. Alexandra De Palma. I'm Tommy Pico. You can't find me anywhere on the internet anymore, but you can find me in a bookstore. <laughs> I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squish Cow on Twitter, Instagram. And I'm Joseph Osmondson. I have a book out. Yes, you Tom. are in Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, or New York. I um, fucked you. <laughs> I mean, probably. Come see me. You can find all the details at www.josephosmondson.com. Yes. yes. And I'm Dennis Norris II, and you can find me on Twitter at the Earl Denden, T-H-E-E-A-R-L-D-E-N-D-E-N. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, or we're killing Dennis. Okay? <laughs> Dennis is dead. <laughs> Dennis is already dead. <laughs> Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Food for Thought Pod and Instagram at Gay Sluts Who Read or Gay Sluts Horad, however your eyes disseminate that information. Find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your fine podcast shows. Sign up for our newsletter for episode insights, reading lists, and extra delectable content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and I guess dick pics 
to definitely thoughts? Definitely dick pics. Yes, please. Okay, whatever. <laughs> we'll just agree to disagree. So thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thoughts spelled how? T-H-O-T. That's right. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, y'all. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.